Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Benjamin. In the past week, Warner Brothers Discovery became the first entertainment streaming conglomerate to make a profit on its streaming service. We'll unpack the company's mixed earnings report as well as take a look at expectations for Reddit now that it is finally going public. Plus, Vice.com is no more. Walmart now owns Vizio and Global will have a new CEO in a year's time. But before we get to all of that, joining me is reporter Ella Sagar and our columnist Nick Manning. Hello to you both. Hello. Hi, Jack. Hi, Ella. I should note we are having to record remotely today, so bear with us if our audio sounds a wee bit worse than usual. But Nick, your latest column for us talked about the rise of principle-based media trading models and why they risk undermining client agency trust. And I wanted to make sure that we spent a bit of time on this issue today on top of all the other news that we want to cover because it dovetails with what I know to be your more general concerns about the future of media agencies and the industry more broadly. So why don't you just start by taking me through what the main thesis of the argument is that you mentioned and how big of a problem you see it being for the industry in the near term. Okay, well, uh, thanks. Yes, it's uh, quite a, a nutty one, this. And the, the, the immediacy of the issue uh, was to do with the earnings uh, calls and reports from the big holding companies uh, at the end of 2023. Uh, and the subject of proprietary-based trading inventory media by any other name came up quite a lot during those calls because it is it has become a significant proportion of the trading profits of all of the big advertising holding groups. Um, And that, I think, is not a healthy sign. But what's perhaps uh, less healthy is that um, the the way that the analysts and investors are looking at the groups is that they are actually encouraging those groups to do more of it. that the groups who are performing the best in pure financial terms are the ones who are, uh, well, working that seam harder, shall we say. Um, and as a result, uh, the CEO of IPG, for example, said, yeah, yeah, we're going to do more of it and we're going to be uh, catching up with our, our peers in that regard. Um, and, and the problem with proprietary-based trading uh, and in free media generally uh, is it is actually quite an untransparent way of media trading uh, in as much as uh, the agency buys, supposedly buys uh, inventory in bulk uh, at a, if you like, a wholesale price and then sells it at retail to their clients. So effectively becomes a media seller, not just a media buyer. Um, And that removes an element of transparency from that client agency relationship. So so it's not a health, it's not a healthy trend. Um, it's quite interesting, actually, because uh, since then, um, th- there was a podcast that Brian Visa did uh, with MI3 in Australia to sort of suggest that uh, clients favour and prefer inventory and proprietary trading, uh, which is quite the opposite of what my experience. Mm. And, did he give a reason uh, for, and, and for recent, why uh, proof of the clients might prefer that so, type of trading? Um, Uh, quite an obscure thing, and um, I haven't spoken to Brian directly about it, but he suggested that uh, in some ways it kind of uh, uh, it, it gives the clients some kind of way of sort of saying, well, you know, if we do it this way, the agency is going to get paid better, uh, and that causes fewer problems between marketing and procurement. But it was a bit it was a bit obscure, and I, I I'm not sure I fully understood the the reasons why. But I don't think, I don't think we should get bogged down in that. I think it's a debate for another day, but. 
I, I think it's fair to say that uh, you know inventory media is uh, not something that uh, is likely to foster uh, trust between clients and agents. Mm. I was having this chat with uh, Omar recently, who's who's not able to join the the podcast today, but wishes everyone well. Um, but but everything feels very opaque now, and maybe it has for a long time. And this isn't necessarily a new trend, but um, you've brought attention to sort of the lack of transparency within agency buying. And I, I would also say that a lot of media, big media owners, of course, are are not necessarily that transparent with regard to what their audience yeah. is really like as well. And and so I'm I'm just curious what's the sort of solution that you would want to go after yeah. in terms of improving transparency yeah. in media more broadly? Well, it's, uh, that's, that is a, it's a massive question, and I'd like to pan back a little bit. And in fact, um, my last three columns for the media leader uh, were different, but actually address uh, one uh, fundamental point, really, which is all about the future of advertising uh, uh, itself, um, and by the way, I loved uh, Omar's column about why we should all be proud to work in advertising, and we should. Um, but we also need to call out the areas where I think advertising is in danger of losing its effectiveness and its and its status, really, and prestige. Um, and so, you know, I talked a lot about. I've talked about the rise of retail media networks and uh, and commerce media. I've talked about uh, the, the lack of programmatic transparency. I've talked about inventory media, proprietary based trading. And all, all of those three are different aspects of um, the same issue, really, which is in industry, it's massive in a state of flux. Um, and th- that is having significant Im- uh, implications for the holding companies and therefore the media agencies. I mean, there are other aspects to it, but the holding companies are under a lot of pressure now because of the changes in the marketplace, particularly the way that uh, retail media and, and, um, and digital commerce are shortening purchase funnels and, uh, and paths to purchase generally, uh, the move towards more client in-housing. And so we've seen John Lewis this week announcing their new in-house studio. Um, and this is in a world where uh, the value that media agencies can add should be uh, and has the potential to be much greater because what media agencies are good at, uh, uh, even outside of media buying, is being able to identify and reach increasingly segmented audiences. And and uh, the value that they add uh, can be great, um, but they are under a lot of financial pressure because a lot of the money that they are making is coming from sources like programmatic uh, uh, margins from inventory media, for example. Um, and this is hampering their ability to invest in the kind of services that they need um, to deliver, you know, better value back to the clients uh, in terms of you know, planning, activation, optimization, analytics, um, and it's all to me. The issue is all about the ability to invest in uh, those people and systems and tools and services you need to do that, and to bring an innovation to the marketplace. So, um, if agencies are having to um, make more money in the ways that we've just described, but that money is then used to prop up holding company. Profits, uh, the, the, the agencies do not have the amount of money they need to invest in uh, people, experience, skills, tools, coders, um, you know, platforms, and so on. So there's a bit of a, a kind of mismatch between what agencies need to do and the amount of money that they can actually make by doing it. And the, you know, the salaries in the media agency industry have stagnated for quite a long time now. Uh, and they are not being, you know, they're not able to offer. 
better working conditions to their people because of the need to uh, to underpin the, the profits of the, of the big holding companies. I should emphasize this doesn't apply to independent agencies, uh, but certainly does apply to the majority of the holding company media agency networks. Mm-hmm. Definitely lots of concern. And uh, uh, I suppose, is there an easy way out is, is the question, not an easy way out, but but a way out to, to make you know, big holding companies a bit more healthy on the the balance sheet without yeah. resorting to uh, yeah. so, the, some of this type of behavior that that you think is un, not good or, or basically not transparent. No, well, I, it's uh, there are no easy ways out, and uh, this has been going on now for longer than I care to mention. I've been talking about it for quite a long time and started uh, writing about it a long time ago. But uh, and it, but what's happened is it's become progressively more acute, uh, partly because the uh, within the holding companies, the creative agencies are coming under enormous pressure now from all of the trends that we've just been talking about, the uh, the way that um, creative now is uh, can be uh, automated via AI, the way that uh, agencies are being cut out of the system by you know new, new ways of working in terms of the big digital platforms. So to, towards solutions, I mean, the, the, there's only three things I think that we can look at that uh, uh, immediately spring to mind, one of which is further consolidation within the media agency world, which is entirely possible. We've seen a bit of it with Essence Mediacom, for example, cutting out some of the duplication. Um, but the, the other factor, which has been absent for a long time now, is really uh, about efficiency, automation, and uh, making the media agency model much less Manual, much more automated, much more systematized, which has actually been an, an outstanding. Well, it's been not been done for a very long time um, because the reality is that the media agencies do need to have these these investments, um, and the trouble is that they can't make those investments uh, unless the holding company gives them the capacity to do that, which is a very difficult thing to do at the moment. Um, so I, I think it's about trying to innovate. It's uh, trying to reinvest. Um, and to change the financial model. And they have to change the way that they earn money. This is the key thing, the, the most important part of all, because the way that uh, media agencies have been remunerated for many, many years now is it, it's a bit like um, the printer uh, the printer cartridge industry or the razor blade industry. Is they, they sell in at a very low headline rate and hope to make money uh, through other means. Um, sometimes outside of the contractual basis that they have. So the headline rate will be, you know, a low fee or commission uh, and at, at very low uh, media uh, cost guarantees. And that is the, the crux of the problem, uh, insanely competitive and uh, fairly sort of um, uh, drastic uh, ways to win business, which have a, a knock-on effect on the rest. So they, they have somehow... To find a way to uh, gain new income much more legitimately and through uh, the work that they do. The trouble is they've educated the clients in many ways to expect um, more and more services at lower and lower prices. They will blame the clients for that and there is some blame to be attached. But in the end, it's the, it's the business model that is the issue. Mm-hmm. Well. It's something to certainly watch, uh, and I'm sure you'll continue writing about it more for us in the near <laughs> future. <laughs> um, I, I- I, I, in some ways, I hope not, but uh, I'm afraid. <laughs>
it is going to be an issue for some time to come. Right. Well, look, I do want to move us on to the, the main bit of news today, but uh, we'll, we'll have to put a pin in it now, basically. But yeah. yeah, the main bit of news that I did want to discuss today is our, the latest earnings from Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, we've written about this company a good lot since its merger, and the latest earnings were a big mixed bag, if I, if I may uh, describe it as such. The share price fell nearly 10% last week following the earnings report. Um, that is likely because the company missed on revenue expectations and, and earnings expectations uh, amid a TV ad slump. And it also declined to offer free cl- free cash flow guidance for this year as the company expects continued headwinds in that department as spend will increase following presumably the, the, the Hollywood writers and actor strikes from last year. But and it's a big but, Warner Brothers Discovery is the first non-Netflix streamer to turn a full year streaming profit thanks to a huge amount of cost cutting, at least in part. So I'm curious, Ella, I'll, I'll come to you first. I mean, were there any bits in the financial report that I, you think are are worth noting? I mean, we knew that Warner Brothers Discovery was in a tremendous amount of, of debt going into uh, uh, the past year or so. Have they improved upon that at all? How should we be viewing the company's uh, current financial health, basically? Yeah, it was a tremendous amount of debt. Uh, it's it's when you get to the kind of $40, $50 billion worth of debt, it seems like quite it's such a huge number, it's quite abstract. They did pay down about $5.4 billion, So about 10%, it sat at $54 billion, I think the last time that you wrote about them, Jack. So it's now about $45 billion of debt. So it's an improvement, It's but it's uh, it just seems like a, such a huge number uh, that that is going to be top of their mind to kind of appease their shareholders to make to make inroads into getting that number down and down and down again and the the way to do that they what they've done is is cut you know films when they are like nearly finished as well um and that can alienate their viewers they've also done a lot of consolidating with their like HBO and Max becoming Max to just one one service uh, so that I can see that they are trying to get that number. That's the focus and to show that they have what I think um, they called an attack plan. So it was quite aggressive language in that kind of opening statement um, to show that they're quite bullish about how they can really um, uh, become a, more, a leaner business. Mm-hmm. Nick, I'm, I'm curious, do you, what, do you, what do you think of Warner Brothers Discovery currently? I mean, lots of cost cutting. Is there some concern that the brand is tarnished a little bit when, yeah, as Ella mentioned, you have sort of movies that are, are expected to come out, are nearly finished, you have had you know, obviously hundreds of people working on them, and then they are completely binned just because the company would prefer a tax write-off if they think they can make more money that way? Yeah. Well, it's uh, all part and parcel of this massive flux that we were talking about earlier on in in the way that um, streaming is rapidly becoming uh, both a you know a, a mainstream uh, television option now, and uh, in, particularly in the US, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it's um, I mean the the, the the problem that Warner uh, uh, Discovery have got really is that, is that they're quite a, quite a large enterprise, quite a sprawling enterprise, and they're trying to manage multiple things all at the same time um, while dealing with this uh, w- with this flux in the marketplace. So it's a bit like trying to you know. Bar- barreling along in the outside lane of the uh, of, of the freeway, uh, trying to change the wheels on the on the car at the same time, it's kind of difficult to do. Uh, the good news is that their streaming uh, streaming incomes are uh, very positive, 
And um, I was just looking at some data uh, overnight that came in overnight, really, about churn in the streaming marketplace in the US. I mean, given just how many options there are to US consumers, there was a massive amount of churn. Um, and uh, they seem to be sort of navigating their way uh, through that uh, pr- through that pretty well. But you mentioned brands there, Jack, and uh, I'm not sh- sure in some ways uh, which brand we're talking about here because I'm a long-standing fan of, fan of HBO and have been for God knows how many years. I've always felt about HBO as being the biggest and most successful brand in the television marketplace worldwide. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure that the the rebranding of that has particularly worked terribly well. And I'm not sure that they are uh, cutting through the way that they used to. So um, I, I think they've they've got all sorts of problems. Uh, there's an ongoing dis, uh, discussion about potentially merging with Paramount. Um, I and I, I'm sure. Yeah, I saw the latest yeah. news on that. Is is that that that's been basically put on hold. Yeah, I, I, it has. But the trouble is that what tends to happen in, these, in, 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 in this world we live in at the moment in media is that consolidation seems to be inevitable as everybody comes under pressure. And God knows there's been quite a lot of it already. So um, I, I feel uh, bullish about their prospects, but obviously what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do it at a time when consumer behavior is changing so, so much uh, is really tough for them. But the good news is that the streaming side of it does seem to be uh, working no, out and on the streaming side, something that they would use to measure there, it's not just the number of subscribers, it's which is like sat at 9.77 million, I think, uh, for D- global D2C subscribers, but the average revenue per user, the ARPU, which is kind of that, uh, what is used as a metric to be able to compare um, and is, is kind of used as that go-to metric in streaming, it increased 7% year on year. Um, so that will be a positive for them as well. Mm. Surely that comes from uh, co- constant price increases, and we've seen that from all the streaming companies, right? Unless I'm missing something in, in, in uh, another reason why that figure would have gone a little bit higher. Um, that obviously creates the the pressure on consumers to maybe pick and choose or turn. And Nick, as you mentioned, the sort of turn figures in the U.S. Um, you know, I'm curious as prices continue to increase, which I think they're expected to be across the board for these streaming services, does that then create, again, more consolidation pressure if users are maybe becoming a little bit more uh, receptive to those, those price increases and feeling, okay, well, look, you know, because it seems like there's been a lot of testing, basically. All these companies, Netflix, Warner Brothers, Discovery, um, Paramount, they're all testing to see at what point is there a breaking point where the price is too high and we lose too many people. And, and of course, you've got to mm. add in the fact that we're now dealing with hybrid models where you've got subscription uh, revenue and ad-funded tiers as well. So the testing aspect of it is is complicated by the fact that you've got these two options in the marketplace now. So the reality is that we're right in the middle of, of, uh, of that uh, period of time when they're, the, the, those hybrid models are starting to play out. Um, and it's going to be quite a long time before they settle down. And, and I think in, uh, some sort of consolidation is inevitable because there are so many offers in the marketplace and probably not enough money to go around. So I, I think over the next year or two, we will, we, we will, we will see some consolidation simply because mm. of does the it, Does it make it harder for a future um, consolidation with Warner Brothers Discovery specifically just because of the amount of debt that it brought on, as Ella mentioned? Yeah. 
Yes, uh, obviously, when you've got debt on your balance sheet, uh, whoever is uh, whoever you're merging with or is buying you has to uh, uh, swallow that. So um, yes, obviously, debt uh, plays a big part in that. But in the end, we were talking about massive power plays here, and there are ways of managing debt. Um, so. Um, you know, this is where the investment banking community uh, will be crawling all over this. And it's interesting, there's quite a lot of talk now, this side of, uh, of the change of year, that the M&A market is starting to heat up again. There's a lot more confidence in the marketplace now in terms of the amount of money that's likely to be available. I think last year we'll be seen as something of a moratorium on M&A. Mm, mm. um, something see, to keep an eye uh, out for, I suppose. I do want to move us on to the other big company that I wanted to, to discuss in terms of uh, you know financials and otherwise, which is Reddit, which officially fi- uh, filed to go public last week after years of rumors that it would do just that. Um, I took a look at the company's S1 filing to the US SEC that revealed that Reddit still has not turned a profit. It was founded in 2005 and, and still has never turned a profit. Um, it generated $804 million in revenue in 2023, which is up 21% year on year. So there's some pretty strong revenue growth. And the vast, vast majority of that revenue was driven by advertising. I think everything except for about $15 million uh, was from advertising. And a lot of those are coming from big clients. So I think it was like their, their top 15 ad spenders accounted for you know a, a good he, uh, you know, third or so of the total spend that Reddit brought in uh, in terms of revenue. Um, however, the company is saying that their uh, growth strategy also includes data licensing and e-commerce, and there's there's different ways of diversifying for the future that it wants to look at. But Ella, I, I guess I'm curious uh, if first if you had any reaction to the figures or, or any thoughts on on Reddit as a platform now that the business is going public. It's the first major um, online digital slash social platform to go public since Pinterest in 2019, I believe. So uh, it's definitely one of the bigger entrants into the market this year. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting timing, I think, because of how everything is looking in social media and in publishing and and in advertising. There's a lot of uncertainty, um, but obviously Reddit has been intending to do this for quite some time and they've been around since 2005, I think. So they're only one year younger than Facebook or now Meta. And I just thought it was interesting to compare those two. Um, I mean, obviously the scale is completely different. But, you know, social media companies started at a similar time and they've had quite different focuses of who like their users and things and their strategies. But um, I think Reddit seems to be looking to advertising as their and e-commerce as that future growth kind of. And I just wonder what will happen a lot. um, I've seen a lot of Reddit users saying that this this going public is going to affect their experience on the platform. And that's their main concern. Um, but so obviously, again, that's a balancing act that Reddit will have to strike. Of they don't want lots of users to to leave um, if if there are too many changes. So I think what you've been writing about over the previous year or so is that they've been introducing some changes slowly because you can't do it all at once. Otherwise, it's too much change, and that that's going to result in in churn, as as Nick was mentioning earlier with the streamers. Hmm. Yeah, there, there's been a number of changes. They made changes to the API to make it basically impossible for a lot of third-party app developers to exist anymore, which then funnels people into the official app, which uh, I would argue as a user is was perhaps inferior to some of those third-party apps. 
Um, although I'm sure they've got people working on it, but that of course drives costs. And and if the company ever wants to uh, turn a, a profit, then it, it's going to need to look at its balance sheet a little bit more. Um, other things that they've changed include the the homepage has been redesigned a number of times over the past five or so years to make it look a little bit more like social media as opposed to um, what it used to be and what I still use. You can go on old.reddit.com to access it is a very early 2000s looking or mid 2000s looking website. And uh, if you're used to it, it's okay. But if you're not, it, it perhaps isn't as good of a user experience. But um, yeah, I think you make a good point about users being a little bit concerned about the site becoming, if I may use the term, in shitified right now that the, the company has gone public. I'm curious, Nick, if you have any input on on that. Well, you took, you took that word right out of my mouth. Is that, and it's, a, it's a great expression that's being used a lot at the moment. And the trouble is, enshittification is is where these things tend to go, and um, I think there's a real squeeze on on the on the social media world there. And I hesitate to bring up our old friend X or Twitter or whatever. I know we talk about this quite a lot, but um, the uh, and and this is really curious. But the uh, they said they they glorified the fact the other day that their Super Bowl coverage got something like seventy five percent uplift in terms of engagement year on year or users or whatever the number was. Um, and, uh, you know, that has proven to be something of a fiction. Um, so much of it was driven by bots and so much of it is bot traffic. And it's rather curious because when, uh, Elon Musk was on the hook for buying Twitter, uh, so a while back, one reason that he was, one reason that he was, uh, reluctant to go ahead with the deal, if you recall, was because he was worried that too much of the Twitter traffic was bots and it's, uh, and, and not real. What seems to have happened is that because of the various uh, problems that they've encountered, they're now either allowing bots to invade the platform or, um, well, allowing them to do it or or, or possibly um, thinking the way forward. Now, I don't know about you guys because I still use it quite a lot, but I've recently uh, attracted a whole bunch of new followers, uh, many of whom don't look like real people and some of whom are liking tweets that I made months ago. So I think there is a real problem with social media if Twitter is anything to go by. And I worry that Reddit as a, as a publicly quoted company might start to suffer from some of the, th- the same problems that, mm-hmm. uh, that X has got now, because you do tend to find different behaviors happen when you've a quoted company and you've got revenue targets and profit targets that you've sold mm. to shareholders. I don't think, uh, and Ella, confirm me uh, if, if I'm off base here, but I don't think either of us really use X slash Twitter uh, much anymore. Um, that was obviously a, a personal choice as opposed to uh, you know anything on behalf of the publication. But um, yeah, I think I take your point really well. That The bot issue on, on Twitter is huge. The, the bot issue on Reddit, as far as I can tell, is, is I, have, I don't know. Uh, how big of a concern it is i i definitely know that um m- content moderation more generally i'm sure will will get more attention on reddit than it had been yeah. be- now that they're public is that that would that would be my expectation um reddit was surprisingly not involved in that u.s senate hearing uh last month they were not invited to speak uh unlike meta and tiktok and snap discord and x slash Twitter. I, I feel like I have to add that in. Um, and that's partially, I don't, I don't know, but that perhaps that's because that Reddit is, was uh, a private company and still is at least as the rest of the recording of this podcast. Well, I think like it's possibly because it seems being a little bit of a, a niche player and largely for uh, a very well young and, uh, and an audience that people t- don't tend to sort of think too much about. So 
But when you become publicly quoted and, and you and you go through an IPO, your your status changes. You become grown up, um, and you have to start behaving in a different way. And that might actually be against the the original ethos mm. behind Reddit. From from an investment perspective, Nick, I'm curious how you view the company as well. I mean, obviously, not we're not looking to give financial advice, but a lot of these social media companies uh, outside of Meta, perhaps, have not necessarily done particularly well um, since their IPO. So Pinterest uh, all time is up. 47%, which is not too bad from 2019, but it's definitely lagging, you know, a big index like the S&P. Snap is down uh, 59% all time since it IPO'd back in 2017. Um, Meta, I think if you invested in Meta, you would have made uh, 10 times the amount of money that you started with if you invested at IPO, more than that at this point. Um, and so, and, and well, X was taken uh private by Elon Musk, but hadn't been performing well as a stock for for most of its history. So I suppose I'm curious where you think Reddit might lie, because it seems like it's a really tough business. Meta is huge, a dominant player uh, in social media, certainly when it comes to revenue generation. And I'm, I, I'm just curious if you think the company's business prospects uh, are, are decent. Well, I think it's uh, if we if we can again talk about the the general state of the industry right now is that the demands on on advertising revenue are growing all the time. So everybody uh, it, it funds so many uh, media channels, and I, I know we're in a hybrid world of subs and ads these days. But um, you've got so much demand for advertising uh, from uh, particularly from. Uh, not just the social players, all of the mainstream players. You've got uh, the streamers now starting trying to attract advertising. You've got Walmart, who I think we should spend a bit of time talking about, going after uh, advertising revenue alongside all of the other retail uh, uh, players, and not just retail players, but uh, Uber and others who have got large uh, customer databases. So everybody's trying to pile in on advertising. The... Um, Number of places you know uh, who are uh, competing for advertising revenue is growing proportionately. So Reddit is launching into a market where there is there is unprecedented level of demand for advertising from other places. So having to compete versus so many other people for that. So I I I, I can't feel positive about that if advertising is their main uh, source of funding. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a really interesting point. Um... Yeah, I, I do wonder if, if Reddit had launched in 2021, maybe amid the, especially amid the upsurge in, in uh, just general market interest, you know, so a lot of these sort of early SPAC um, and or early IPO companies perhaps performed better then. And then the past year and year, two years has haven't been as well for those types of companies. You know, I'd be curious to see. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see how the performance of the stock goes uh, immediately after IPO. But um, certainly, it's true that Ella mentioned that redditors themselves are <laughs> down on the stock, which is always funny to see. Yeah. Well, I Matt, do want to. Well, oh, I, sorry, go on. Redditors probably are fearful that the Reddit that they know is going to change uh, substantially as as it grows up and becomes a public credit company, and they're and they're right to fear that. Mm. I do want to move us on to our quick hits section. Um, Nick, you did mention Vizio and Walmart. I will ask a question about that in a moment. But first, Vice Media announced further layoffs and that the company would transition into a studio model for content output, meaning it'll stop publishing on Vice.com and sell what production they do continue to do to other publishers. Ella, you covered the story for us. What does Vice's sort of fall mean for the industry and how should the company be remembered at its height? 
Yeah, I think it was very sad news when it came through. And uh, so they are pivoting to a studio model and they're going to be looking at partnerships with other global media companies. Um, you know, it has 35 offices globally. It employs, you know, hundreds of people. Uh, it's going to make hundreds of layoffs. Uh, so another round of layoffs at a publishing company, which is always sad to see. I think from speaking to people about Vice and from its beginnings, it started out as quite an, it was an alternate um alternate culture magazine that started in Montreal and then kind of grew and grew and grew and was really uh, revered for its pioneering user-generated content and its kind of uh, uh, behind-the-scenes kind of look takes on alternative culture and and it was quite uh, – and it was always a youth-focused media publication. And it on that – in that group, you'd put like BuzzFeed and, and Huffington Post and all of those those publishers as well, who are also encountering difficulties. So BuzzFeed is exploring an, a partnership with The Independent in the UK um, to kind of alleviate some of that pressure that they're feeling. And you wonder, I think Vice.com, their last articles were published on the 22nd of February. So uh, any, but there will still be journalists and still Vice content and documentaries and TV. They explored so many other avenues, not just articles and online blogs and things and and a magazine or a zine that they started out with. It became much more than that. Um, you know, reporting behind the front lines in in Ukraine and, and in uh, ISIS and reporting on those very uh, important issues. So uh, I think hopefully it will still be able to explore that, but maybe explore a studio's model and sell its documentaries to the likes of the streaming giants that we've been discussing potentially or other publishers that would be maybe the way forward Mm. yeah i suppose as a a follow-up question i think i I think i saw it was oliver darcy uh cnn reliable sources who um wrote this but he basically called the digital media revolution over now that this kind of marked that point where the vices and the huff posts and the buzzfeeds uh just Turns out their their model of business just wasn't a success at all, and, and that's part of the reason. I suppose, Nick, do you have any extra thoughts uh, in response to that? Is the digital media revolution over, or is there another revolution that needs to come? There's, there's always another revolution. I think that what what is uh, uh, a shame about all of this is the is the uh, lack of plur- plurality you get when new and vibrant companies like this uh, are no longer able to uh, survive. And I think. Um, it, you know, we need we need more uh, different voices in the marketplace, uh, like the, the founding fathers of Vice and BuzzFeed and Huffington Post and so on and so forth. It's a real shame that good quality uh, content like that uh, is no longer attracting the kind of advertising it needs to be able to survive in this in this consolidated world. So I'm sure there'll be other things coming down the line. I hope that we'll see more studio models which allow that content still to be resurfaced. Um, but it comes back down to what I was saying just now. There's just not enough money in the marketplace to compete and to fund uh, the kind of good quality content um, that uh, that they, they produce. And one of the things that I think is is a is a, is a shame for all of us really is that um, content costs money and good content costs even more money. Uh, and those companies who get the most advertising revenue days are ones who don't have any cost of content at all because they're all user generated. And so, you know, I, that, the, the big issue for me really is the way that um, the, the, the advertising money is gravitating more and more to those companies who have the lowest content costs. Squeezes uh, mm. everybody who believes in high quality content, as I'm sure we all do. Mm, mm. 
So Walmart has purchased TV maker Vizio. Nikki just mentioned this. Uh, yeah. It's probably the biggest move into media that Walmart has yet made. Um, Nick, how important of an acquisition is this, not just for Walmart, but for all competitor retailers as well? Uh, massive is the short answer to the question. I mean, it, you know, when we think about retail media networks and we tend to sort of think, oh, it's kind of uh, a fairly new thing and um, it's, uh, it's embryonic. Uh, well, actually, uh, it's already well established, particularly in the US. I mean, Walmart Connect has already got $3 billion worth of revenue. Um, and, uh, you know, if you go back a few years, who would have thought that Walmart would become a major media owner with $3 billion of ad revenue? Um, and, and this is a whole new step in a, in, in that uh, on that journey in, in terms of acquiring a business, which on the face of it looks like a television uh, set maker. But they've got 22 million opted-in uh, customers on the Vizio platform. So what we're looking at here is not so much a hardware play at all, of course. It's all about uh, technology to advance the whole uh, way that you use customer data, first-party data, to ally purchase intention versus advertising. So you can actually uh, uh, make more targeted, more addressable, uh, and, and more purchase intent-led uh, advertising solutions. So in some ways, it's kind of a step towards uh, trying to do a, a bit of an Amazon in terms of what they've done with Fire TV and to bring shopping and, and data insights together with television. So it, I think, you know, when we look back at this in a few years time, we'll see this as being really quite a radical step and quite a big one uh, in the development of retail media networks. And it's quite interesting. There's an article by, by McKinsey uh, that I, I saw recently that said that Uh, They believe that by 2028, they believe that spending in retail and commerce media will be bigger than for all of global television and streaming advertising. Um, And I assume that they've got uh, good analytics to go behind that. But that's quite a big thing. I mean, we're seeing, um, you know, the emergence now of retail media and and digital commerce as being massive um, players in the marketplace which, going back to the start of our conversation, is putting a lot of pressure on the existing uh, apparatus of the marketing services industry, the holding companies, the media agencies. This is why I talk a lot about the the, the state of flux that we're in uh, and the way that models are being upended. And, um, uh, you know, I I don't want to get too sort of highfalutin about this, but we are in in, in a particularly interesting period here right now in terms of the emergence of some of these platforms. Even going back to the Reddit IPO, um, they're, they're, they're IPOing at a time when the, the, the whole industry is in flux. Um, maybe it always will be. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the paths of advertising revenue are going down now. The way that marketing is being conducted are changing. Um, and that has to be factored into all of these business models that underlie everything that we've been talking about today. Mm. Final question, Ella, Stephen Myron announced he is leaving as the CEO of Global in March of next year. Um, I'm curious, what do we know about why he's chosen to step down and also what's in store for Global's future under new leadership? What what are you hearing from people's reactions to the news? I think there's a lot of respect for Stephen Myron in the in the industry. He's been at Global for 16 years. Um, he joined a year after Ashley Tabor King um, founded it in 2007. And, uh, you know, they've built the radio business. They've then added outdoor and they've added podcasts so they've, and uh, digital ad exchange. So they've, they've really brought it to a very, become a very different uh, place. Then. And so I think it's the UK's largest 
radio and outdoor advertising company. Um, and so that is quite an achievement. So a lot of the people that if you go on LinkedIn and you look at his announcement that on his personal LinkedIn, the comment section is all of the great and the good in the media industry, as you'd expect. Um, I think in as to why he's decided to leave, I think from what Ashley Table King was saying, it's like this was, you know, he always said that there would come a time where he wanted to pass the baton of CEO on to someone else. And since it's, you know, a year's time, uh, he's moving to become a chairman after leaving a CEO. Um, it's So that all seems quite amicable. And so it'll be uh, interesting to see who, who comes through as his replacement, if it will be internal or external. And uh, I mean, he, Stephen Myron called it the greatest CEO job in media and entertainment. So that that's quite a statement. So big shoes to fill. Mm. Yes, indeed. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on lots of different things. That includes Reddit, that includes Global, that includes Warner Brothers Discovery, that includes all media holding companies. Uh, thanks so much for, for chatting with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. If you like what you hear, guess what? You can read our stuff at our website, themedialeader.co.uk, where you can sign up to our daily newsletter in the UK of analysis, opinion and commentary about what's going on in media and advertising. You can also find us on YouTube. We are posting video interviews and clips from our live events. And don't forget to check out our LinkedIn page, which is often a very interesting way to see what people in the industry are saying about our articles and the issues we write about. Anyway, get back to work. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.